0: So I would classify what I have to tell you as an ecology update. Okay, I'm listening. You would not believe your eyes if 10 million fireflies lit up the no. world as I fell asleep.
1: No, 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 Because they fill the no, open no.
0: air and leave
1: teardrops no.
0: everywhere. You'd think me rude, but I would just stand and stare. Does that
1: like oh track for you at all? Um. Thank you, Owl City. I'm I'm having such like a big time flashback right now, and you know, I don't really know that I can continue recording this episode. Thank you.
0: Do you want a thousand
1: hugs from 10,000 lightning bugs or one hug from Owl City? No, I mean it's like I'm pro-nature, <laughs> except with this song. Because
0: I get a thousand hugs from ten-
1: Um, welcome everyone to American Girls the podcast. This is the show where we're reliving the American Girls series book by book. I'm Mary. I'm still Allison. Or our city, I guess you were, you know, you just did some basically spoken word. Um, of Fireflies because that came out in a year that's going to be very important for us today and that's 2009.
0: 2009 was a year in which, as you may recall, if it will please the court, TikTok was a song by Kesha, not an app that I spent three hours a day on. We were getting stripped down versions of various songs by Miley Cyrus. We were getting Single Ladies by Beyonce. You and I were graduating college and we got Rebecca Rubin.
1: I just want to say that I believe Rebecca Rubin has aged better than Fireflies. And I don't want to hear from people about this, like, leave me alone, like, leave me in peace. What I need you to understand is that I once did a babysitting gig one summer and for whatever reason, the person I babysat, the only music that we could listen to was Fireflies on a loop, not kidding, and the Lizzie McGuire soundtrack. Again, oh. these things are not bad on their own. I'm just saying, picture me in my Saturn. I'm listening to this yeah. stuff like five hours a day, taking this person here, there and everywhere. It was a lot. Like I'm I'm just like, I can't be alone with fireflies. Like I can't sit with that.
0: You know what I think actually is really helpful? So you study bibliotherapy, books as medicine. If we were to think about lyric therapy, This song actually is really instructive as a kind of prescriptive piece when he says please take me away from here because i feel like such an insomniac i i
1: just feel like that might help you (laughs) i feel like that that speaks to me now in 2022 like take me away from here i don't want to be in this situation anymore but yeah i mean i was just saying to someone earlier today like my motto for 2022 at this point is like Justin Bieber, like, immediately no. Like, immediately no. Like, that's my response to, like, almost everything at this point. Immediately no. Immediately no. Immediately no. It's just, it's too much. Is Owl City still out there? Are they doing things? So my understanding is that Owl City sort of had a moment
0: semi-recently because we got reminded of the song that he made for Taylor Swift.
1: Oh. Yes. Um... That is true. Dr. Um, Taylor Swift. Doctor. You know, I would love to get your thoughts, Allison. I know Dr. Swift um, just received her doctorate, and I would love to hear from you about like your thoughts on her commencement address because I think that the hardest public speaking gig in the world, bar none, is giving a commencement address because literally nobody wants to hear from you. Like, I don't want to hear. Like, it, it's a hostile audience because everyone in the crowd is like, I'm hot, I'm hungry. I'm thinking about, like, what am I gonna do with the rest of my life? Like, I don't wanna be here. Like, that's my sense of it. I couldn't remember, you just mentioned we graduated in 2009, same year, Rebecca Rubin came into our lives. Do you remember a single thing that was said at our commencement address?
0: So, I do recall that our commencement was slightly more political than others because it was the 40th anniversary of it being coeducational. Right. And I thought that that was really interesting. I remember being very cold because it was unseasonably cold the day that we graduated. Mm -hmm. I think that Dr. Swift did a really good job of incorporating what she's known for, which is the year 22, into the commencement. We're doing this together, so let's just keep dancing like we're the class of 22. I also like just my personal preference, I don't like a meta speech where someone acknowledges that you don't want advice. I do prefer sort of a rousing call to action. That's my preference. I thought our speakers were actually kind of good, but I also remember everyone talking about Tom Wolf cuz he'd been a fairly like recent presence on campus and then kind of being disappointed we didn't get Tom Wolf.
1: Yeah, that, that did happen. People were like, and we also had a classmate who had appeared in a movie with Gwyneth Paltrow and everyone was like, is he gonna speak? And it's like, why? He didn't graduate. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I mean, not to be cruel, I'm, I'm coming across like very hostile to graduations. And I actually love, even when it's not me graduating, like I tear up at people's graduations. It's very emotional. But I I define greatness by brevity in terms of commencement addresses. So I feel like she did. I'm giving her like a solid seven, I would say. Again, oh. I told you I had to stop watching and I just had to read it because I got too uncomfortable. But she did something that I did on my own AP exam. I know it's also AP exam season, which is like you lean heavily into the metaphor of a quilt to describe yourself and your relationship <laughs> with like people and ideas. And like, so I was happy about that. She did do the thing of, like, you haven't asked for my advice, so I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I am going to tell you what to do. And, you know, she kind of did, like, you know, her her humor, and I, I thought she did a good job. I thought she, like, handled, it's a hard gig, and I thought she landed the plane, so to speak. But, you know, now I'm left with the question, like, is her PhD more valuable than ours?
0: I'm going to say yes, because I think um, the air she breathes would probably be categorized as more valuable than ours, you know, just yes. kind of on, like, an objective platform, But, like, if you were not called to watch that entire speech, what have you been called to watch? Like, what is actually giving you that resonance lately?
1: Um, nothing that I'm, I guess, like, proud to discuss, but I will share (laughs) that, you know, it's been a, it's been an upsetting few weeks, I think, nationally, and you know a lot of very tragic and awful things going on and i think my form of self-care is like when i can't handle reality i immerse myself in reality tv which is like the most unreal thing i can find so i've been watching the new kardashian show which is like exactly like the old kardashian show and that's been making me laugh in sort of unintentional ways like the the infamous now kendall scene of like not knowing how to slice a cucumber and Nice. The Travis Barker of it all, like I watched his original realities TV on MTV, Meet the Barkers, and like just seeing his trajectory is like fascinating for me.
0: I love I love them. I love Kravis. I love it.
1: <laughs> Why? What like what is like lighting you up about Kravis?
0: I feel like we are seeing a light behind her eyes that we have not seen in decades. And I think that they are probably going to have an explosive end at some point, but I am very happy for them. I really also think that their relationship is like so unexpected and also completely predictable within that realm. And that is always very fascinating to me. Like To outsiders, it seems very puzzling, but to those in the know, it makes absolute sense that they are just finally together. And I love that.
1: Yes, and and there's a part of me that's like the amount of PDA we're getting on that show is a shock between them, and I could sort of do with a little bit less of that, but I do think her whole plotline on their shows, excuse me, has been basically like I'm a person who's in a really like tragic or tempestuous relationship with Scott, and I'm like managing his addictions or his behavior and now it's sort of like the show is positioning Scott as a tragic character, and I'm not really buying it because it's like, well, first of all, this is all overproduced. But at the same time, you know, it's like he, he had a chance. He didn't, you know, they, they didn't work out. And now she's with someone who's like his opposite in many ways and seems very happy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's nice to see, although it's just, it's a lot. Like, I'm just, every frame of the show is making me laugh. And, and like Kim hosting SNL, and they're setting up Chloe's <laughs> like in like tristan's infidelity which we know is coming with him being like i threw a fan out of the game because he made fun of you like and i heard that and no i have to protect my family and it's like ugh, like we know what's coming <laughs> no. like it's just you know the production is not subtle but that's kind of what i need and in a similar bent like i'm watching real housewives of atlanta which just started and that's also like bringing me a sense of like it's mellowing me out and it's also like overproduced but i don't care because i just want to not think about real things sometimes so that's what i turn to that and open door tours which if you have not seen travis barker's tour allison you have to go watch it it's insane he at one point is like i just needed to simplify my life and i was living in a house with like elevators and stuff and so like you know here we're like just under ten thousand feet as if like that's you know just like keeping it chill but anyway what are you what is lighting you up what are you watching
0: so I have been almost exclusively watching, I have been watching season two of The Wilds, which is fantastic, but that that to me is sort of prestige television. I'm primarily using my spare hours and my like sleepy Owl City adjacent hours to watch a television program called Unexpected, which many people told me I would like and I resisted because I feel like... Teen Mom had such a place in the culture and now, you know, obviously we we have this kind of void. I love this television show. I watched multiple seasons in just like a few nights and was just absolutely enamored with the various plot lines. It has humbled me because I am older than most of the grandmothers on this show and so it's made me think a lot and kind of given me a different perspective on the world, but I highly recommend it.
1: I don't know that I can emotionally, spiritually take that on at this time, but I I am intrigued by it. And I also know Catfish is coming back and I will be watching that probably.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've invited um, Neve and Laura into my life in kind of like a pretty significant way. I follow them on social media. Like I love their content. So I feel like Catfish is always part of my world, but I'm I'm definitely enjoying that. Also, Neve and Laura are New Yorkers, not on like our own Rebecca Rubin.
1: That's right. And I mean, I feel like... I'm really excited to dive into this new series, and I really enjoyed this book. Like, spoiler alert, we both did, I think. Um, But I would love to get into this with you. You know, before we get into the book directly with a summary, can I possibly just like paint a picture for you and our listeners by just confronting you with what a site called Pop Buzz is calling the 14 pop culture moments from 2009 that will make you feel old? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the first one is not pop culture, but, like, in 2009, Obama was sworn in as president. Um, R.I.P. to that presidency, not to Obama the person. Um, Grindr launched. And it doesn't really affect us. Uh, Hannah Montana the movie debuted... Glee and Modern Family debuted. And then, Allison, were you ever taken in by Farmville on Facebook? So, was I taken in? No. Did I tend a few fields? Yes. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Um, Many follow-up questions. I will hit pause on that. Um, (laughs) Michael Jackson died. This is a real grab bag of events. Chris Pratt and Anna Faris were married, which, Uh, like, I can't even, like, remember that time, but I know that that was a real moment. Kanye West interrupts Taylor Swift during her VMA video of the year acceptance speech. Completely unacceptable. Like I still think about that. And then lastly, and this is going to connect to Rebecca, I promise, Lady Gaga gives an iconic and bloody performance of paparazzi at the 2009 Mm -hmm. MTV VMA Awards. And I bring up Lady Gaga because in preparation of our conversation, I was reading around about the Lower East Side and its history, And if you go to the Wikipedia page, and everyone please do this, of Lower East Side, the Lower East Side, and scroll all the way down to References in Popular Culture, you're going to find a reference to our girl, Rebecca Rubin. And then under the Songs Collection, you will find Heavy Metal Lover and Marry the Night by Lady Gaga as songs that in some way reference or are about the Lower East Side. Yeah, it's shocking. I don't know what that means. Like, I just... I think they're really reaching here, and I just, I would love for somebody to explain to me, like, I am, of course, a fan of Lady Gaga, but I don't know how that connects. And I guess I just wanted to carry Lady Gaga with us into this conversation as, like, yet another iconic um, person, woman, who stems from the Lower East Side.
0: We have been told many times that we have to read Sydney Taylor's uh, books, including All of a Kind Family, and we Mm -hmm. did do that kind of in preparation to get into Rebecca Rubin's world, so if you want to hear us talk about that and a recent bio of Sydney Taylor, that is on our Patreon, but just know that we are aware of it, and we know that, you know, those two things comprise two-thirds of the children's literature section of the Wikipedia
1: yes which is its own like a story of its own um yeah so <laughs> but yeah let's get into without any further ado let's meet rebecca
0: so meet rebecca as we mentioned is a book from 2009 uh, a kind of immediate post-recession recession classic uh rebecca rubin longs to be the center of attention but that's not easy in a family of five children when cousin max an actor tells her the secret to pleasing an audience rebecca can't wait to try it out then she learns that her cousin, Anna, and her family are in danger. They must escape Russia and come to New York. Rebecca decides to raise money for their passage by putting on a show until her disapproving grandmother steps in. Unexpectedly, Rebecca finds another way to earn money, but for her plan to work, she'll have to keep it a secret.
1: What a what a um summary, what a book, what a lifestyle. I mean... There's so much to say, but I think it's important to note that both of us had a very positive experience of this book. Like, it felt like it was fun. It has a lot of heavy themes around it and within it, but it's also just like, you know, it feels exciting.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting to think that this came out a few years before some other books that we have been reading relatively recently. And I do remember when this book came out that there was quite a bit of buzz because it had come out sort of as like a real bonafide historical character, right? A strong historical character after there had been some kind of like challenging years from Mattel. Uh, And something that I remember about it was that it was like really promising to tell a distinctive and different story and really trying to do something. I had, and I mean this as absolutely a high, high compliment of the author of the series, this gave me the most Felicity, Valerie trip vibes that I've had since we <laughs> read Felicity. Yes. This is a girl who I don't know that I want to babysit for a long weekend, but a girl that I admire, that I find kind of plucky and interesting, and whose world I think is rooted in a very real way. And I think you lose something in the books where it's like, wait a minute, where are we? I loved being with Caroline in Sackett's Harbor. I loved being with Felicity and kind of seeing Virginia from her POV. And I like that we're going to get to see Lower East Side with Rebecca.
1: Yeah, I agree. And it's like, I also feel like this book is strong because she's a very well developed character like from the jump you get a sense of like of who she is as a person and you can start to imagine her choices and as you kind of said like maybe those weren't choices that you'd want to ride along on if you were say her babysitter or her friend but you know it's like there's a sense of playfulness there's a sense of fun and also her whole family network too is very well developed mm. from the beginning and i want to start there with the portraits we get with the little um descriptions at the beginning of the book because those are always some of my favorite things and every single person has an amazing like description and portrait but we have a real cast of characters like from the jump (laughs) like Rebecca is described as a lively girl who dreams of becoming an actress like great I'm interested and but I want to point out some of the other characters we're going to meet who just like genuinely make me laugh and my favorite description is of Sadie and Sophie Rebecca's twin sisters who quote like to remind Rebecca that they are 14. And (laughs) there's just like something amazing and iconic about like making your entire personality that you remind people that you're 14. Like I, I just love that. Like that feels very real that you can imagine people who might do that. I don't think I don't remember doing that myself, but you know, perhaps. And I also like Benny and Victor are her younger brothers. And I just need to say like, I think it's Benny who has like an extremely unfortunate haircut. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you caught that, yeah. but he has an extremely unfortunate haircut. He's 5.
0: I think Sadie and Sophie proclaimed their fourteenedness so
1: that Dr. Swift could write 22. Oh my god. Whoa. Wow. Yeah, I see that. I see that now. And it's like, you know what? Like she's worthy of them and they're worthy of her, so it's really a match made in heaven and I know that You know i told you off air that max who's max is the center of the opposing page to rebecca which i think is interesting it's like the two actors get to be center Mm -hmm. stage and max is described as mama's cousin who leads the exciting life of an actor and oh boy does he and we're gonna get there (laughs) but then you also flagged mrs berg do you want to like describe her
0: Yeah, so Max is in the center of five portraits, and honestly, a proper... Like, if this was Max's dating profile, it should be (laughs) a little bit more honest and say Max is under or unemployed, but we'll get to that later. We meet Mrs. Berg, who is a woman in Rebecca's neighborhood who wants nothing but the best, which, honestly, same. And Leo Berg, a conceited boy from Rebecca's class i truly believe in the best way possible that the authorial team behind this book was like working out some stuff from their childhood that leo is based on a real boy who had to wear a dunce cap because we get that visual in the book very much like pulled from life and and i love that for this author like jacqueline denbar green if you're listening you did a great job
1: We're fans. We're into it. And and I know you're going to surprise me with some information you found about the author. So you can let us know when it's time. But I want to just round out the family real quick that we also have um, Papa, who is Rebecca's father, an understanding man who owns a small shoe store. Um, Okay, great. As a sneakerhead, like I would be loving that. (laughs) But I guess that's getting ahead of myself. And Mama, Rebecca's mother, who keeps a good Jewish home and a good sense of humor which I think is kind of an interesting description because it sort of defines her by her domesticity in a sense and her personality and the dad by his occupation Um, and also his personality. Like he's understanding she has a good sense of humor. He owns a shoe store. She keeps a good Jewish home. (laughs) Like it's just there's an interesting like duality there. And then opposing them, we have Bubby, Rebecca's grandmother, an immigrant from Russia who who is feisty and outspoken, And grandpa, Rebecca's grandfather, an immigrant from Russia who carries on the Jewish traditions. So like that's another that's kind of interesting, too, just like before we even meet these people, it's sort of like positioning them as representing like a potential conflict between like old and new, in a sense.
0: Yeah, and there's something that struck me right away about this book because we're set in 1914, which I also love because I like getting back to the kind of canonical pacing of six books, being in a year that ends with four. As silly as that sounds, I like the way that they really lean into this year. And I might be mistaken, but I have not read ahead. I have looked closely at the timeline for her stories, This might be the tightest timeline we have ever encountered in an American Girl series. It's set across a very, very short period of time, and I was curious about that because getting us into 1915 or 1916 would force the author to do different things with the plot points about family. It would force us into sinking of Lusitania territory. And again, Mm. I may absolutely be mistaken, but we stay in 1914 insofar as I understand it, which is so smart because it allows the war to be part of the story, the war that is ongoing in the rest of the world. It allows the Russian political part to be a piece of this, but it doesn't overtake the book, right? It it still gives us kind of a realistic palette of things to be happening for a little girl who has family in different parts of the world, but she's really focused on her kind of square mile of the Lower East Side, like really, really likes that choice.
1: Yeah, I really like that choice too. I think I was slightly puzzled by the fact that grandma is called Bubby, which is grandma in Mm. Yiddish. And then I looked it up and I think, and I always mispronounce words on this show, so apologies, but I think it's pronounced Saba. is Mm. grandpa in Yiddish. So it's like, why is grandpa, grandpa and grandma's Bubby? Like, they didn't want to fully commit to Yiddish for both. Like, I don't, and, I, and you know, like, listeners of Jewish descent or, you know, if you have not knowledge of this, like, please let me know because I'm just curious. Like, I, I wonder why, especially because he's described as clinging to the old ways, why he wouldn't go by the Yiddish word for grandfather,
0: yeah, I also noticed a pretty distinct difference. Uh, so this book came out before the last set of books that we read, Cecile um, and Marie Grace. In those books, they really wanted us to have like a decently high level of exposure to French. And in the preface to this book, we learn about the fact that Rebecca's parents are from different parts of the world. We learn that her grandparents, quote, spoke mostly Yiddish, a language that was common among Jews from Eastern Europe. And we get a glossary, but I don't find that the onus was on the reader nearly as much in this book to actually learn any of those words. Like, I don't find that that was, like really an extensive part of the story and to your point beyond kind of this opening preface we don't really have a sense about the grandparents and language like not not nearly as much as we did in the last set of books we just read
1: yeah and it can it's kind of an interesting meta choice for us to not have to really navigate Yiddish or like learn as much language as we have with the past books because in a sense like in a story about assimilation and immigration or one that at least will contend with those issues presumably you know the characters are going to have to explain themselves to us as American readers more than we will Mm -hmm. have to try to enter their space in a sense so I think like that's an interesting like challenge I wonder for the author to navigate like I wonder how she how she did that or how she kind of like grappled with what she wanted to explain and what she wanted us to kind of have to learn more about or like you know not make certain things easier for us to understand um or to kind of like disorient us a little bit by putting us into their world or their past but yeah i mean i it's i love these descriptions i when i read these i already thought like wow this book is off to a really strong start
0: Yeah. So some of the kind of background and research for this. um, So Jacqueline Dunbar Green is kind of known in some circles for the Rebecca Rubin books, but she's a very prolific author. She has written like plenty of other things. And, you know, in a way that I think echoes very specifically the way that Connie Porter was interviewed about how she got ideas for Addie there's a lot of emphasis in articles about her kind of having this pressure of writing the first Jewish American girl. And so how did she make decisions? What's it based on? And you see over and over in articles, um, you know, I read a piece in Dayton Daily News from summer of 2009, explicitly talking about how she wanted this to kind of like come from some of her own life so she used her life experience and that's paired with her saying that she chose the name Rebecca and did the research based on census records she says Rebecca was one of the top girls names for Yiddish speaking immigrant families in New York City um so that's like one part of it There's other pieces, like she has this real sticky memory of Christmas being part of the curriculum at her public school in Connecticut. And she says, the feeling was that it was an American holiday and she grew up in the 1950s and 60s. She wanted, uh, and others kind of echo this, she wanted to create an American girl that would be, quote, proud of her Jewish identity. So they wanted to kind of situate Rebecca in a space where um, she interacts with other Jewish people. And that's like a big part of her story, not something that she is trying to hide at school or in her community.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting um, intention in some context, because what I kind of noticed about the world of this book is that... There aren't many non-Jewish interactions. Like everyone mm-hmm. in the world of this book is Jewish. So we're really like we're introduced to Rebecca in her world, like walking the streets with her in the Lower East Side to her father's shoe store, like in her home celebrating celebrating the Sabbath and like all of these family moments and even performing on her front stoop, like all these things we'll get to. There's no one explicitly who is, you know, described as like not part of her Jewish community. And in a sense, I thought that was really a good grounding choice because then, like, as other characters are introduced, perhaps who are not Jewish, like we'll be able to appreciate kind of the tradition that Rebecca, like what Rebecca understands, is like her norm, and how other yeah. things may emerge to challenge that. And there's a really interesting exhibit on the Low, um, Library of Congress site uh, on the Lower East Side and its history and its Jewish history that we can link to. But one statistic I read on there that stayed with me was that by 1900 this district was so packed. Um, It had 700 people per acre, which is made it the most crowded neighborhood on the planet to use their language, whether or not that's true. But by 1910, there were 500,000 residents of the Lower East Side who were Jewish, making it the largest Jewish community in the world. Um, Wow. Which is really incredible. And, And their statistic is that between 1881 and 1914, approximately 2 million Jews immigrated to the US and about 75% of them settled in New York City mostly in the lower east side. So, I think like with that context in mind, it makes sense that like she would leave her house and perhaps only see other members of her Jewish community if she's staying within, you know, a few blocks of her home or like in this like really um close-knit community.
0: Yeah, and there's ways in which, you know, to kind of get into some of like the plot points of the book, there's ways in which her world is you know, people are very much of a similar background, right? So the point you just made. But there's also something that we know about, you know, very densely packed communities that might be homogenous in some ways also have all of these class differences. Like part of why we meet the Bergs pretty much right away And we have all these different conversations. Rebecca is from a family where her father runs a shop and her mother is not a wage earner as far as we understand it. And they do decently well. Like Rebecca has to help in the store, but the family has a pretty decent level of stability. And we interact through the store with people who, you know, don't have as much money or who do have a lot more money. And we get to see Rebecca in a scene where she's sweeping the sidewalk and she's kind of trying to make it like more dramatic than it is like she's trying to give herself like psyched up like main character energy we (laughs) see within just a few chapters like the range of people that she comes into contact with and the way that, you know, she really admires her uncle, like her uncle serves a great purpose of kind of, you know, poking the family a little bit to make them think about their notions of like, what's a good way to make money or or what might be sort of like, you know, not looking so good for the family. Him being an actor is something that they're not really accepting of. And then he gets this really big check. He gets money that's gonna be life-changing for the family. And I think they do all of that very elegantly in the book to kind of show like, this isn't a family that's precarious, but Rebecca is aware that she could be, right? Or she could be a Berg. Like things could always go anyway.
1: Yeah, I think the book does a good job of like kind of positioning her on sort of like the lower end of middle class, I would say. Like we get details like that she's she's wearing a dress that they ordered from a catalog and Mm -hmm. their house has some consumer goods that are not necessarily necessities, but just um, things that they might want. Um, And, you know, an example of the twins, the twins, by the way, like are living their best life. Like I, in a way I was like, I want to be them in this book because we learn early on that, like they go to the movies every week, like movies are pretty new. They've seen one. No one else in the family has. And so early on, Rebecca's like, I want to be like them. I want to see a movie. And the dad's like, don't worry about it. And so it's like, they have the money to send the twins to the movies like every week. So, you know, it's not like, you know, maybe they're they're in survivor mode and we learned that, you know, it's it's a major hardship for the family to save enough money to bring over the relatives from Russia who are in a very precarious position and there's real um real fear that they will be um you know, punished as part of like the Russian crackdown on the Jewish community and that um, Rebecca's cousin is in poor health. So there's like a real sense of urgency, but they don't have as much savings that they could just immediately send um, tickets to the family to immigrate. But, you know, they do have these like creature comforts. So it's kind of hard to place them class wise. But, um, you know, we read the the all of the family books for our Patreon. And I remember like reading, I read that first and then this. And thinking like Rebecca's family is in a better situation, economically speaking.
0: Yeah, we, we open the book with her playing with Russian dolls and they're kind of, you know, like she's acting out different things that she wants to happen through them. She wants to have a bigger role in the way that the family is doing their proceedings for the Sabbath. Like she wants to kind of feel a little bit more important. She wants to be able to light candles. And what I like about her is, again, she very much reminds me of Felicity in part because of her father also being a shopkeeper, her trying to kind of create a role for herself there, but she also has this incredibly creative and imaginative inner life there is a scene where she has to be sweeping the sidewalk and she's basically performing. She says, life in America is so hard. She pretended, I can't go to school, but must work for pennies. And that's something that she's able to sort of, you know, like almost joke about. That's something that she's able to kind of imagine because it is actually outside of her experience. And she's able to say, you know, sweeping the sidewalk is so important because she's trying to kind of make it something else she has this on the one side and then there's these conversations around her about the Russian army taking 12 year olds. She has these like very different things all at once. And she feels to me like a very realistic nine, 10 year old girl who is like holding all these different things at one time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she has a lot that she's taking in and I think trying to navigate about like the world inside her family and her family traditions and, like, all these new things that she's exposed to and developing technologies and whatever else. And it's interesting that, like, I actually thought about the Felicity books reading this because, um, obviously, Felicity's dad also owns a shop and and Felicity goes and, like, helps air quotes down there, although how much Felicity helps any situation is, like, an open question. But um, it's interesting that in both books, the father does not readily accept that or even imagine that either daughter would someday grow up to run his business. And no. in Felicity's world, it's like, obviously you're gonna grow up to run a household as like an, elite, like an elite woman in our community. You're gonna get married and have kids and like run your household. And for Rebecca, the father's dream for her is that she become a teacher, which I thought was really interesting.
0: Yeah, I think there's a sense too of like, you know, really smartly written generational friction, right? Because there's a question about whether it's appropriate for Rebecca or her father to be working on Saturday, whether that's like a true necessity the family needs to be taking on. And then Max kind of comes in and out of the picture and he's earning money in ways that the family didn't expect. And to your point about, you know, um, Booby and grandpa and how they're being called or signaled in the book, there's a point where the grandparents are like frustrated with Max and they say, America, always changing with the names. You don't change a name like a dirty shirt. And what I think Rebecca gets to see in real time is someone she thinks of as a role model, kind of fashioning himself, getting to change himself And you see just in such a smart way, right, the grandparents gave up so much of their life, you know, maybe not really by choice to come to America for a new life. And you're seeing through the three generations how that actually plays out and how they're going to do deal with that. And she only being 10 years old, Rebecca has kind of the guts to say, you know, why is it okay for Max to do certain things and not okay for me? Like she is bold enough to kind of ask that question. And I think that's why I'm excited to kind of be with her for the next five books, because I'm looking forward to seeing how over the two month window of these stories, she actually evolves.
1: Yeah. And I think, What's really interesting about that and like the idea of kind of like reinvention that Max introduces is that I think it really opens up the possibility from book one, as you're saying, for Rebecca to start to invent herself and imagine how she might want to be as her own person apart from her family, which might be a situation that her own mother could not conceive of as someone who grew up in Russia and has a very different history. but. Max, like, Max is so, like, chooses chaos in every scene of this book, and I love him for that, and I love, even though I do not find his jokes funny, and, like, that's a struggle for me, (laughs) like, when we meet this man, he comes through the door, and he's like, shh, everyone, and he pretends to (laughs) sprinkle something on the floor, do you remember this? And they're yes. like, "Max, what are you doing?" He's like, "It's line powder." And they're like, "What's that?" And he's like, "It keeps lines away." And they're like, "There's no lines." And he's like, "You see how it works." And everyone's like, "He he 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 he." And it's like, "I'm sorry, but like for me to believe that this man gets the payday he does at the end of this book for being hired by a film company, like I like maybe what's happening is he's so hot." that yeah, like he's hot like he's hot like from the illustrations it's like i'm prepared to just commit to that i think he's hot and i think at the end of this book like silent films which were not called silent films in this period like i think a movie director was like imagine this man but quiet <laughs> And they were like, here's money. They're like, shh. It works. works. Don't speak. They're like, you know, many decades from now, a band called No Doubt will come along and they will will put to song what I'm (laughs) telling you in this moment. Do not speak. And I think that's his rise to fame, like truly. But I do think there's something magical about having someone in your life who's not famous, but is certainly doing something and has an occupation, which feels like a real passion project where you're like, whoa, I can't believe you're doing this for a living, you know, like Everyone else in your world, every other adult is doing something that isn't necessarily a passion but is a practical job that puts food on the table, which as like people in survivor mode, I'm sure her family is really thinking about for good reason. And yet here comes Max, who's like, yeah, I'm going to be an actor. And it's like, we all have those relatives who are like, I'm going to go off and do XYZ for a few years. And there is something that kind of like is fascinating about that, but also like very inspiring.
0: Yeah, I love in the chapter, A Showy Dinner, where we have Rebecca kind of performing. Um, Max is like clearly very close to her, right, and cares about her deeply. And he says, what an actress. Our Becky's a natural talent. Rebecca could barely breathe. Max thought she was a good actress and her whole family was clapping for her. And then he he talks about bringing Becky along to an audition, which I feel like we all know is not really going to happen. No, nope. But I also think what he's doing in, in a time where I don't think this is typically ascribed to adults, he's taking her really seriously. He's yes. taking her dream really seriously. And I like that the arc of this book is that... In her own way, Rebecca decides that this other thing she's been given a lot of compliments for, her handwork, her handiwork, she starts selling it in the store, and that kind of advances some of what she's looking for. But the fact that she also does many performances, and she feels sort of validated from that, and Max pulls through, like as good as the shoe business is, and as important, and like it's so in your face, it's very practical, it's very sturdy. Max is the one with the check. Like Max is the person who actually might change this entire family's life. And I like that we got that moment. I like that we weren't sure about him and then we did finally get there.
1: Yeah, I did too. I was as shocked as anyone that Max is the person who, you know, figures this out because I forget what the total dollar amount is that they need, but it's like thirty dollars a person, I think, for the for the cost of sailing. So I think like she basically is like, I only have 37 cents in my savings. So I'm not really sure what I'm gonna do to like help this situation. But we're also missing a plot point that we learned in the beginning that I don't fully understand. But basically her sisters get to light the candles on the Sabbath. And she's very jealous of this because she thinks it signals being taken seriously as an adult. And so she decides she's gonna use her savings and earn more money to buy her own candlesticks so that she can light her own candles, which feels like maybe not the smoothest or like the most direct way to get taken seriously by her family. But as a middle child myself, like that is a real middle child acting out moment. So like I feel for her and I'm with her. But what's interesting is, I found that that goal interesting initially because we also learn around that same time that she's jealous that her sisters, one, get to light the candles on Sabbath, and two, at the Shabbat dinner, and two, that her sisters get to go to the movies. So for me, yeah. I thought that she was going to sneak out and go to the movies by herself. Like she was going to pick the secular thing that they get to do that she doesn't. But instead, she picks the one that's really linked to her culture and her religion and, and ritual, which I found fascinating. But then she has this whole business side hustle of selling her wedding trousseau sewing at her dad's shoe store. But even with that, she has like what three dollars or something. So for scale, like Max coming in and being like, "Here's a bunch of ten dollar bills like was crazy at the end of this book,
0: yeah, and I like that she has a few different things, right? It's like you know, if we boil her down in this book. Um, she wants to light candles. She wants to go to the movies. She wants to be like her uncle and she wants her family to be together. I think this book kind of like hits on so many just like childhood universals. I appreciate the way that it's about the candles and it's not about the candles. Like when Mm -hmm. you actually look at the plot points, She wants to be doing the candles because she just wants people to take her seriously. She wants people to not think of her as being a baby, um, like her younger brother. So when it all comes down to it, that's what she wants. And I think the money is about supporting family, but it's also feeling really useful in a family where everyone seems to sort of paired off, right? Like her brothers have each other. Her sisters have each other. She's just trying to get into Perils of Pauline she's just trying to find her place and like she doesn't quite have that and i think that's also why book two she gets a friend she gets a friend in the form of a family member because she doesn't really have anyone else who's a peer right like she's Mm. seeing people who are doing stuff that she sees as too babyish or she's seeing people doing things that are older and more adult And she doesn't seem to have, like, kind of a path to go. So, situating this in, like, summer, fall of 1914. I like it because we're kind of seeing her like living an interesting life really at this transition point. And she has this absolutely human moment where she wants to earn money by doing a show on the stoop, right? And like stoop culture being such a part of what her experience would have been on Lower East Side. And she can't tell if people are laughing with her or laughing at her. I just thought, wow, this book includes so many like universal Moments,
1: yeah. To your first point, like I think it was really powerful that we got a sense from her that she was just lonely, and that she wanted to feel seen in her family. And that's what I meant by like middle child energy, because I feel like that's a very relatable thing if you feel like you don't have like you know her two older siblings are kind of palling around, her two younger siblings are palling around, and and who's gonna hang out with her so I felt like it was really like smart of the author to kind of give us that grounding of like this is one of the many things motivating her to be acknowledged and to have a friend and also I think to experiment with independence because around 10 or so like I think you are trying to kind of strike out in safe ways with like the boundaries outside of your family and kind of establish or differentiate yourself a bit So I think her impetus to earn money as you're saying is not just about the candlesticks but I also think it's about kind of experimenting with independence because even small amounts of money like allow you to buy allow you choices and I think you know for her her to choose initially like I'm going to use this money for candlesticks like that's still allowing her to experiment in some ways with independence in terms of even just making some choices you know and what she could buy for herself. So, I found that I found that very human. I also could not relate to her jumping out on the stoop, no fear. No, no fear and immediately going into a routine, like singing. And then when she didn't really get a crowd initially, she goes like top of her voice into it. Yeah. I could not relate to anything less, but I was really like in awe of that because that's just not me.
0: I also think there's something else happening here that like maybe isn't intended for children, but kind of, you know, speaking to like adult readers or even like older readers, there's a lot of performing that I think we're gonna see all throughout her series, right? Like I think if we see rebecca outside of her relative comfort zone which is the lower east side i think we're gonna see the family needing to perform to survive right like there's a lot that's kind of going in and out of this book of like will max encounter specific challenges because he's a jewish actor right like will Mm. people think of him differently and i i appreciate that aspect of making that central to it right like When we read the Addie books as kind of like a different example, reading is what really like unlocks her world because reading is so essential to understanding like black liberation in her period and in her world. I think for Rebecca, performing is gonna be a big part of her life no matter what. I was thinking this morning about her and like, oh gosh, like, you know, where would she go next? And the 20s might be decent for her. And then when she's finally really of age, um, she might have been able to actually thrive because she could have built up a career as an actor and might have been sort of depression-proof in some ways. But I love that we're thinking about her from the very beginning as a girl who likes play, who wants to perform, has this really rich sense of imagination, And frankly, like in an authentic way, uses dolls as a proxy to like work stuff out, right? I mean, if that was on the checklist for this author, she does it on page one where the dolls are sort of validating that she's not a baby.
1: It's interesting because she's really coming of age in a moment when a lot of Jewish immigrants or children of Jewish immigrants in the Lower East Side are doing exactly what Uncle Max is doing and what we can kind of foresee her doing, which is like reinventing herself In through performance, whether on the stage or on screen, and the degrees to which they bring their Jewishness with them. And so, like, Max is reinventing himself. He announces a rebrand at dinner, which is like fascinating. Like, I love a relative (laughs) who comes in and is like, Hi, rebrand, I will now be this. And he says, I'm Max Shepard. It's a good American name. And it's just fascinating because, in doing a little reading around, I was like, Okay, so who could Uncle Max be based on? Who could compete with him for hotness? And like, just spoiler alert, like I'm not sure like that part of my study had any like stirring results. But um, there's a person named Al Sheen, who's the uncle of the Marx Brothers, who has like a very similar trajectory to Uncle Max, Eddie Cantor, obviously George Burns, Allison. Like, I didn't know this, but like he's from he Hmm. like is born around probably the same time, or maybe a few years uh, after Rebecca Rubin, and he changes his name to George Burns. In some ways to mask his Jewishness. Um, but it's like fascinating to think like these people are around and they're, like her peers, and someone like maybe Sophie Tucker Sophie Tucker, or someone named Theta Barra, who I've never heard of before, but was a film actress, whose name became a synonym for to seduce and destroy. Like she became oh. this like seductress. Like, you know, where's Rebecca Rubin in all of this? Like, who does she grow up to wanna be? And, you know, but like it's exciting to think about her forging her own community and having conversations through performance like my favorite scene in this book or one of them was that dinner scene you mentioned where she, her, uncle max references a folk tale do you remember what that was called allison off the top of your head it's about
0: a rabbit i know that
1: it's, it's about a rabbit i was confused about certain details but it's um yeah don't i didn't think too hard about it part of it at the end i was like wait a second what oh yeah clever karina And Grandma, or Bubby, has a pin that she gives to Rebecca in the end about clever Karina. But long story short, it feels like the Czar is, like, cruising girls and testing them to see who he will marry when they grow up. And that's the end result of that story. But when Max starts selling it about a girl who outsmarts these other girls to solve a riddle posed by the Czar. Rebecca gets up from the table and prompted to act it out with him. And it's just like such a beautiful moment of like him taking her seriously, like you were saying, but also her like being totally unconscious and just like going with the moment. Like it's yes. just really like liberating to watch her do that after we've been through this like mental gymnastics with her about how she feels like unacknowledged in her family or like people don't appreciate her talents.
0: So, speaking of names, I do have to bring this up. So, when this doll came out, there was a lot of conversation. Um, I found this article from The Desert Sun, and it was talking about how um, for some Jewish fans of American Girl, it meant it was a first time that they didn't have to change the names of their dolls to feel more comfortable Mm. or like a name that they would know. So, that was very exciting. But... This Doll's launch also came out at the same time that one Rebecca Rubin, age 36, who had been in hiding for three years at that point, was under indictment uh, for her role in the Earth Liberation Front and Animal Liberation Front. American what? Girl had to, so she was branded an eco-terrorist. I'm oh not sure God. if we still use that term, but American Girl had to get ahead of this and said it was a completely unrelated coincidence, and that also explained to me why so many people asked the author about her selection of Rebecca Rubin, and they're probably, like, seeing on the AP wire, like, Rebecca Rubin, Terrorist Rebecca Rubin, 18-inch oh doll. God. So they kind of had to like speak around that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, wow, that's a lot. I didn't know that history of there was the other Rebecca Rubin, eco-terrorist, but that is truly stunning. I'm sure American Girl was freaking out about that, but it's interesting and I guess empowering that they didn't run from... You know, making the first Jewish American girl sound Jewish, like giving her a Jewish name, I think was really important, and I think it's powerful to imagine girls who otherwise were like changing their dolls' names, like not having to do that anymore. And I know this is a silly comparison, but I feel like my exposure to Jewish American history as a child came from Feifel. Um, did you see that, Allison? Feifel goes west, the sequel. For
0: me, it was Rugrats, so I don't really oh, have wow. a much better. Yes, <laughs>
1: I also learned about Passover from Rugrats. Yes, um, and Anastasia, like I guess, was a terrorist against. You know, I didn't really. They, the movie doesn't cover the terror against Russian Jews, but you know, I'll have to go do a rewatch and and look at that. But you know, Feifel, I was like looking around and basically like there was an issue, like Feifel's real name is Feifel Mouskowitz And now I have oh. to rewatch this movie, but it, it's from 1986, same as American Girl. And apparently like Steven Spielberg was involved in making it. And he was one of the few people who was like, they were going to change the mouse's name because they thought it sounded quote, too foreign, which I think is code. And he was like, nope, we're not doing that. And obviously like nobody, you know, like it wasn't a good choice, but it's interesting to think like how even the names of children's like characters or movie characters in this case, like can be actually really important. Um, But like the move, and we'll get into this on our Patreon episode to kind of, even though content is overtly about Jewish characters and traditions to constantly pander to non-Jewish readers or audiences, like that pressure is crazy.
0: Yeah. And just to give some context for where this author comes from, right? Like sort of her world. So her father was a hairdresser and this author grew up in Bloomfield, Connecticut, but her family worked for years and years in Hartford. And so they owned the Gloria George beauty salons, which were located Mm. on Asylum Street and Albany Street. So we essentially were like just leaving wow. college as this book was coming out not far at all from the place where this person actually grew up and learning a little bit more about her story and kind of her family. She's one of several siblings knowing that she didn't grow up on the Lower East Side of New York, right? Like she grew Mm -hmm. up in a part of Connecticut, very close to Hartford, and thinking about the fact that she didn't have the benefit of having a robust children's literature with Jewish characters, so she had to go out and create them. And had her timeline been a little bit different, there would have been, you know, many Sydney Taylors as opposed to like the off chance that she might get in all of the kind family type books. So it is striking to me that between her, you know, date of birth, like 1950s, all the way till when her books come out, 2009, there's not a huge, huge change, right? Like there are many more options, but the fact that I didn't read very many books with Jewish characters in the 90s and early 2000s, you know, and that might have been her experience half a century earlier, just goes to show like this was very slow in coming. It took a long time. It took American Girl 1986 to
1: 2009 to feature someone of this background. So yeah i love that she's from hartford i didn't know that i'm gonna have to look her up now yeah so her um her like
0: childhood home was on jerome ave in bloomfield connecticut but the family worked in hartford so there's you know a good chance that papa in this book is kind of made in the image of her own father who's running these salons her mother was a homemaker full-time um but I just feel like there was something about 2009. Just thinking today about like what that world was like. We had Party in the USA. Unironically, we had Kelly Clarkson. My life would suck without you. We had Heartless by Kanye. We do not live in that world anymore. So. You know, just for reference.
1: I mean, all those people are still around. But yeah, like the context is different. The vibe is different. It's a different feeling. But tell me a Colby
0: Calais would rise to the top today. Tell me she would, because she wouldn't.
1: It starts to my nose and it spreads to my toes no. or whatever that song is. Wow. Yeah. Fallen For You
0: was 2009.
1: Damn. I still love that song. Along with Halo. Well, it's like, I think what we have instead is, you know, in some ways, like Gen Z culture seems more earnest to me, even though like I think we're nostalgizing in some ways, like the music of 2009. But yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a, a different vibe. I'm just happy that we've lived to see the, the longevity or the, the pivot of Kelly Clarkson from Iconic Diva singer to kelly clarkson iconic diva singer and talk show host
0: oh yes absolutely i can't wait to see kind of what rebecca rubin gets into next and just for reference we are talking about sydney taylor and all of a kind family on this month's patreon in June, we are going in what I would call a completely different direction by doing a children's book that's about Watergate. So if you can follow those threads at all <laughs> and you think you wanna talk to people who might also find this compelling, we have a fantastic Discord community that is part of our Patreon. We really love all the things that people are doing in there. There is a growing and probably launched by the time you hear this pen pal program.
1: There is a book club.
0: It's a fantastic space. It's really, really good. It's super positive. And when you're having a weird day, knowing that there is a place where adults share photos of mini dolls doing things with
1: them in a way that is like safe and beautiful and affirming, it's nice. Yeah, it's very nice. And We're also doing watch-alongs in league with our Watergate coverage. We may also... I've never seen that movie Dick with Kirsten Dunst about Watergate. So I think some listeners said it's like streaming somewhere. So we maybe will do like a watch-along with that. I took my Becky to the beach, my mini Becky. You did? Yeah, she's here with us right now. Oh my God. Hey, girl. Um, (laughs) Sup? And, you know, like, so maybe she and you will join us to watch uh, this Watergate classic and or... I need to find a way that we can all get access to Julia Roberts' Watergate show because I'm not going to subscribe to Starz for that. But I think that's what it's on. I don't know. I think you're right. I think
0: we're very open to, like, any Richard Nixon content that Mm -hmm. you want. So you just let us know, like, whatever you think. I did do some research into the film content that is discussed in the first Rebecca Rubin book. I just don't really think it's for us. I would watch a super old movie with you all. I just don't think Perils of Pauline is gonna be how we wanna spend our COVID end times, so.
1: No, but you know, maybe we could watch like *Singing in the Rain or something, cause that sort of covers early film, but maybe not. Um, I think
0: Becky would support that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a cool, I've heard the Downton movie that just came out is basically like ripping off the *Singing in the Rain plot in some ways which maybe they're presenting as an homage for legal purposes but i'm not sure so i need to investigate that i have not seen it but um yeah there's there's a lot of good stuff coming in the patreon so check that out if you have not so allison if somebody wants to talk about early film with you or you know how best to prepare becky for the beach etc where might they get in touch with you
0: Yeah, so I actually also run the official Owl City fan club. So if you want to reach out to us there, that's at Allison Horrocks on all of the things. We also love when you send us TikToks, other miscellany, everything that you're seeing on the Instagram for American Girls Pod, a girls pod on Twitter, We have an email address and we also have a telephone number where you can reach us and leave a message. And if you say, please don't play my message, we absolutely won't, even when they're really funny and you call us out for not liking certain TV shows. Uh, Mary,
1: where can people find you? Wow. Now I'm fascinated to know what we got called out for not liking, but... um... I'll circle back. It was a
0: show that I did not give a fair chance and I totally own that. And we will respect that person's anonymity, but it was a Julian Fellows product that I watched one episode of and have not returned to. And I apologize if that's disappointing, but when you have unexpected, (laughs) I
1: mean, really. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking for any and all like reality TV, pop culture, moments of joy, suggestions. You can find me on Instagram at Mimi Mahoney or on Twitter at Mary Mahoney one, two, three. Well, thank you everyone. And and feel free to get in touch with us. We look forward to hearing from you and we will see you on our next episode.